What you're about to hear is a 10-minute excerpt of a one-hour-long interview with Charlie Beckett from the London School of Economics. Um, he runs the AI and Journalism Initiative as well as a think tank. And basically, the, the whole talk was more broadly about the future of journalism and kind of designing for the future um, in his field, which is journalism. But I thought it was really interesting because we hit on this question of designing for variance, basically for to account for the fact that you and I are different, but also within the same person, there is huge variability. And we've spoken a little bit about it throughout this podcast already. Um, but it was interesting to kind of hear his view um, with, with very tangible examples too in, in his field. So I'm including it here. It's not research per se, but I think it touches really on... Um, something that we actually do deal a lot with as researchers, which is basically we're trying to design systems, like all the research we do is eventually to design programs or systems or something, right? And that's the reason that our of our job is to create something and that something has to um, be inclusive to a really wide range of people or even to a same person as they grow, evolve, or just change throughout the day or the conditions that are changing. Like there's this question of variance to me is is really fascinating as a researcher. So I'm including it here. Um, and if you do want to go and see the original podcast, I'll put a, a link in the show notes as well. This is different by design. I love the word variance because I think that's exactly right. Um, you know, I used to make a TV news program that went out at seven o'clock and it finished at eight o'clock. It was, and there was just a screen, you know, and I had no idea who was watching, you know. Um, and that's still quite a good device for delivering news, actually. It's still quite popular around the world, the news, TV news bulletin. Um, you know, but the, the technology enables us to, to, to cope to some degree with that variance. And I find it very exciting, actually. You know, I think that's so much more interesting for the journalists. And where it goes is, again, really interesting in terms of sentiment, for example. You know, I'm fascinated by the role of emotions in the consumption of news and the sharing of news. Um, and we know, for example, that people are actually, uh, a lot of people now are frightened of news. Oh my God, the news is on. Oh, it's dreadful, turn it off, keep, keep it away from me. Um, so understanding the emotional relationship people have with news is really interesting. And then, to, to pick up on your analogy, not only can you do the time variance, but perhaps you could say, look, I know this person has consumed six ghastly, depressing pieces. Perhaps we should surface some more uplifting pieces for her that will, you know, stop her getting too depressed. Um, or the opposite, you know. Um, and your moods, of course, shift. You, you, we, we, we're, you know, the, the newsrooms are familiar with this idea that people are generally speaking more serious in the morning. That's when they, they're going to work, they want to have a proper briefing about the things that really matter. But, you know, by the evening, their attention is strained perhaps towards recipes and culture and things like that. That's a big, big departure from the typical demographics, because I think previously we assumed almost the person is, is a static idea, <laughs> which yeah. whether it's morning or night, it is the same person, the same state of spirit, the same context. And actually we're seeing, no, it, there is a lot of... Um, of change. Um, though going back to that idea of demographics, it is a little bit interesting because I do wonder, and, and this is where I'm not sure if, if it is a stereotype or, or anything like that, but there's on the one hand, long form is on the rise, which I, um, I, I 
I'm going to presume is a certain public that wants to dig deeper and understand uh, more depth. And at, at the same time, we have things like TikTok that, you know, like 15 seconds spend, uh, spend of attention um, media coming up. How there's such extremes? How does journalism cope with with this? And, and, and to make it more complicated, that could be the same person. I don't know about you, but I will sometimes, you know, graze on little snippets of stuff, um, and then I may want to listen to an hour long podcast or watch a six part documentary, stream a you know six part documentary or something. Um, and that is definitely, again, it's one of the paradoxes, loads of paradoxes happening in journalism at the moment. You know, the news is getting faster, but it's also getting slower. Um, the news is getting shorter, but it's also getting longer. And it can be the same person. You know, it's not, you can't, you can't say she is a long form person. Right. You know, and she, however, is a flibbity gibbered snippety type person. You know, often we're, 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 we're quite mixed up. I always, I actually kind of resent the idea of long form. It's kind of a bit like broadsheet or quality newspaper. It has a sort of resonance that it's somehow superior and more intellectual and, and somehow harder to do. You know, this is the, this is the Pulitzer Prize winning long form, you know? And I think it's a kind of snobbery around that. I think that giving people um, digestible briefings and making issues much simpler is the real calling of journalism. You know, yes, great investigations are vital and all that stuff is wonderful. But getting people's attention, obviously, you know, I'm an elitist, I'm a liberal, I want it to be nice and intellectual news. Short stuff doesn't have to be stupid. In fact, it's harder to do. And I think that is, is the challenge, especially around these technologies that a lot of the teams we're working at with, they're not looking for a robot that's going to write a 2,000 word essay, you know, that, that, that's not their problem. Their problem is how do they uh, deliver very relevant, timely information in a way that fits in with people's generally time poor, attentive, thin uh, lives. You know, because you know, again, we we we, uh, we we sort of say, oh my God, this this attention economy, as if it's a terrible thing. I mean, it is a product of a kind of affluence we've got an informa information affluence uh, and the problem with that is we all get confused and we get swamped and we sometimes feel burnt out by it all um especially if you're a journalist having to make it um but it is a product of uh, superfluity you know and again i'm i can remember in the analog era when it was the opposite scarcity we would not be able to do a story because there were no pictures of it or we couldn't reach the place you know, um, there just wasn't any information. Uh, and now we have quite the opposite problem, which is too much information, a lot of it very manipulated, um, and the journalist's job is very much more to curate rather than necessarily discover right. information. To some degree, it's almost, uh, the, the relevance you talk about, it's almost about sense-making. It's not so much giving data, but it's providing maybe context or, or significance yeah. of the person and, and, and there, uh, is a tend, there is a bias against i mean I, you won't remember there's a guy who ran the bbc a long time ago when i was there called john burt and he famously he was quite a kind of pointy-headed dude and he famously reformed the bbc because he wanted it to get back to what he called the mission to explain mm. fantastic phrase which we now 
explainers are now wonderfully popular. There's a wonderful hunger out there. Please explain this to me in, way, in a way that I understand and find you know, interesting. Um, and so many podcasts do precisely that. Um, and I think journalism, in a sense, has a bias against that. You mentioned the rush to publish. Let's rush to publish. Instead of understanding it, working out whether it matters, let's rush to publish, for example. And we have other biases. Journalists, um, we use formulae. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's a kind of, it's a way of turning complex reality into something that's understandable. But there's a danger that you can end up painting by numbers. As soon as you see a story, you say, all oh, right, I'm gonna put that story in this category and we do it in this way and that's the way to do it. Instead of thinking, what really is the story and how can we help people to understand it best, you know? Um, and yeah, so journalism always has that pressure. I mean, they, they press the pressure of resources, the pressure of time, the pressure of, um, you know, people in power not letting you tell the story, for example. I, I, do, I do think it's, it's uh, interesting if I can tie it back in a, in a precedent uh, episode that we just had uh, just before. We were looking at cybernetics and search engines. And what um, Paul Pangaro was, was mentioning there was this idea of curiosity. Like he was also talking about emotions, just as you are. And he was saying, you know, the, the motor for anyone searching or putting any investment in learning anything is a knowledge gap. It's that difference of I don't know, and I'm curious enough that I'm going to, that's my starting point. And I wonder if news, to some degree, when I look at certain things like um, um, the, the maps that we have today, there's there's many uh, databases with uh, Rosling, for example, that made these impressive bubble charts that you can almost plug in your own question and look and, and make observations about yeah. it. And I think New York Times did something similar um, in their learning network. Um, in the in the past two years, I'm not sure if it's because of the pandemic or how this idea was born, but they're essentially bringing in pictures and it's less interactive, but it's letting students interpret visually what they're seeing and asking questions about it. And I thought that's a very different approach. It's maybe less telling you what to think, and it's maybe inviting you to have curiosity towards a piece that, that you're standing in front of. Yeah, that's beautifully put. I mean, curiosity for me is 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 probably the fundamental journalistic you know requirement you know if you're not curious about the world then you're not going to be a good journalist um and i think again there is a, a kind of paradox here there is a kind of bias against curiosity in journalism which is that journalists don't like to appear that they don't know something you know if you're in a morning meeting with the news team you know the home editor will be saying well look this is what's happening in westminster and this is why it's happening and this is how we should report it instead of saying, what are the questions we should be asking here? What are the questions that our viewers are asking here? You know, and again, I think you're quite right. Again, there's some lovely new fields of journalism like bots, but also data visualization, interactivity. Again, I'm going back to the Financial Times again. Another example is that they, they created an Uber game uh, where you could pretend to be an Uber driver. And it was all based on very good journalistic research. And of course, he told you how, what a shit life Uber drivers have and how badly paid they are. But it was very, it was kind of immersive and it was interactive and you were guiding it. Um, and I think there's a lot of opportunities around that. We're, 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 um, we're, we just published a report on gamification in journalism. You know, how, how far can you go with that idea? Um, you know, and I think the answer is um, there, there's limits to it. Um, but 
using those to come up with new ways for people to consume news is great, but also it gets the journalists thinking, um, can we think of a different way from this kind of old fashioned gatekeeper, one to many top down approach to the news? And I think most, you know, most journalists are becoming more conscious of that. There's a whole breed of younger journalists, for example, who will go onto social media because it's where they live and they will listen. You know, they will listen and be curious about what other people are saying and thinking, and then they will pick up on fresher uh, stories.